Good morning. We're going to look this morning at uh, Romans chapter 7, and we're going to look at just uh, six verses, Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. And we've titled this message, Married to Another Man, and it sounds like a scandal, doesn't it? But we're going to take a look at uh, what this means in this chapter and uh, how it applies to us. Most of you have heard that uh, David, my son, is getting married in October, and uh, he's he's planning to get married to his fiancée, Rebecca. Uh, Soon, they will walk down the aisle and they will say their vows to one another before God and before a host of witnesses. And they will promise to love each other and stay married to each other for life. Their promise to remain together will likely include the phrase that is commonly stated at weddings, until death do us part. They promise, that promise is that they will remain uh, married and faithful to each other until one or the other spouse dies. How many of you, when you were married, said that phrase, until death do us part? Yeah, I did too. How many of you have been married now more than uh, five years? Okay, that's great. I see, I, I see these unmarried girls have been married for five years. Okay. <laughs> How many? Uh, more than 10. We're going to just do a little uh, check here. More than 10. That's good. I can put my hand up too. How about more than 25? Good. More than 35. Okay. And uh, I won't go beyond that. But some of you have been married longer than that. And um, it's a wonderful thing that you have kept the promise that you made at your wedding. You know, most of us love weddings and all that they represent, and we hope that the newly married couple will live a long and fruitful life together and free from anything that will tear them apart. And if you're one of the couple's parents when they get married, you know, you hope that they will be fruitful and multiply and that you might have a, uh, I don't know if it's called a gaggleful a flock, a host, um, or just um, a quiverful of grandchildren. And uh, that's the goal. We desire that our children will go out and bear much fruit. And that actually applies to this passage here this morning. That that is the goal, actually. When, When God brought Adam and Eve together, he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And if you look at God's creation, you see that over and over again. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. So we often view weddings as the final chapter in a storybook romance where two people have fallen in love and come together to express their love and to celebrate their day and then go out and we always like the they lived happily ever after ending, right? But as unromantic as it might sound, marriage is actually a legal contract between a free man and a free woman 
who agree to live together in marriage union with all the rights and privileges of that relationship until one of them dies. Marriage is often described as a sacred bond, and uh, meaning that when you say, I do, you are legally bound with another person until death separates you. That doesn't sound very romantic, but that is the fact. Your agreement to be bound until death do us part suggests that you will not let anything dissolve the marriage except death itself. The death of the husband or the death of the wife gives the living person, the living spouse, freedom to remarry. So that's also going to play into this passage this morning. And the whole reason for just bringing this up is that I want you to start thinking in terms of the relationship of a married woman and a married man together until death do us part. And then what happens? So I'm going to go back a little bit and look just for a moment at, um, by way of reminder, Romans chapter 6. And so as we are making our way through the book of Romans, we've just completed Romans chapter 6. And in chapter 6, we learned that we as believers are dead to sin so that we should walk in newness of life. In chapter 7, we learn that we are dead to the law so that we might bear fruit to God. In chapter 6, you are no longer slaves to sin. You have been set free from sin, and now you are slaves of righteousness. And then in chapter 7, you are delivered from the law and the fear of death so that you might live controlled by the Spirit bearing fruit to God. Okay, so let's take a look at our passage this morning. Again, the title of it is Married to Another Man. And we're going to look at just the first six verses. Just for simplicity's sake, um, I've divided up chapter, uh, these first six verses into two parts. And the first part has to do with our relationship with the law. And uh, that's verses one through three. And then secondly, our relationship with Christ, verses four through six. So let's look at our relationship with the law first of all. In verse one, it says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 14, Paul stated, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And then he pauses, or there's a parenthesis in chapter 6, and he goes on and discusses 
really a different subject or a different part of the subject. Really, chapter 7 goes back to um, what he stated in chapter 6, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And now he's going to explain what that means. The phrase, you are not under law, must have shocked his fellow Jewish uh, 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 people. God gave them the law through Moses at uh, Sinai. They prided themselves in keeping the law, though they failed it miserably. They exalted the law more than they exalted the Lord, and they believed that their law-keeping gained them favor in God's sight. But the law as we've learned, cannot save anybody. It only exposes our sins and our guilt before God. So what exactly does Paul mean by this statement, you are not under law? It means that believers are no longer under the condemnation of the law. What was the condemnation of the law? If you did not fulfill the law entirely, perfectly in every point, all the time, then the punishment for your sin is death. That's what the Bible said. The wages of sin is death. And so it didn't matter whether you broke it once or you broke it a zillion times. If you broke the law, you broke all of it, and you were subject to death's penalty, or law's penalty, which is death. But since um, we are not under the condemnation of law. How is that possible that we're not under the condemnation of law? We are under the freedom of grace because Christ died for us. Christ also died as us on the cross. So that when Christ died, um, the law has no longer any claim over us. The law cannot judge us because the law was satisfied by Christ when he died on the cross. Christ met all the demands of the law for us by dying in our place, and we are identified with Jesus Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We can say, when Jesus died, I died. When Jesus was buried, I was buried. And when Jesus rose again from the grave, I rose again uh, to newness of life. And so in Romans 6.14, when Paul says, you are not under law, but under grace, now in Romans 7, he, he explains this, and he says to, to uh, his readers in verse 1, or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. And so that's the qualifying um, fact there. You're, uh, if you're under the law, you're subject to the law's penalty as long as the two shall live, until death do its part, really, we could say. So Paul is likely speaking to his Jewish brethren here uh, who know the law, but he could be talking to a much broader audience, including anyone who knows legal matters. And I think most of us know legal matters to a certain degree. Uh, the fact that believers are no longer under law should actually be self-evident. And Paul is going to describe this for us. Um, he, he said it really should be obvious to anyone who knows anything about law 
that law only has jurisdiction over a person when they are alive, not when they're dead. So if I break the law and then I die, what can the law do to me? Absolutely nothing. I'm dead. Can dead people be convicted and punished for their crimes? No. You say, well, technically you can go after the estate. That's not the point. If they murdered somebody, you cannot then take that dead person and put them in jail, can you? There are no prisons, as far as I know, to the best of my knowledge, there is no country on earth that has prison facilities for dead people. Okay? Never heard of it. Can dead people be convicted and punished for crimes? Well, you laugh at a thought like this. Um, Paul has already informed you that you are dead to sin. And now he is saying to you, you are dead to the law. I want you to imagine if I were to wheel a casket in here this morning, and we had an open casket, and you could see the body of the dead person in this casket. Now, I didn't get a picture with the dead person in it, but use your imagination that here in the middle aisle, we have this casket, and I come up to this casket, and I begin to talk to the dead person. And I say to the person, I try to, to um, entice the dead person to, to lie or, or to steal or to commit adultery or to speak blasphemy. Well, you can't tempt a dead person to do anything like that. Why? They're dead and you are dead to sin. But suppose that dead person had committed terrible sins, many, many sins before they died. And imagine that they are, they are there lying in their casket and we brought here this morning the sharpest legal minds, the best legal team we could find to um, uh, prosecute and convict and punish the corpse. What would happen if they brought that casket with the corpse in it into a court of law and said, we want to prosecute this person, your honor, this deceased person? Well, the whole case would be thrown out. You cannot prosecute and convict a dead person, even if the deceased committed every crime in the book. Why? They're dead, and you are dead to the law. Law is only binding on the living, not on the deceased. You might remember the name Lee Harvey Oswald. He was the uh, accused assassin of President John F. Kennedy. And he was never brought to trial uh, for his crime. Do you know that? He killed the president, and he never went to court and was prosecuted and convicted and sentenced. Why? It was because Jack Ruby assassinated him. Jack Ruby killed him before he faced his day in court. 
Oswald died, and the law no longer had anything to say to him. Oswald was dead to the law. And believers, you are dead to the law. The law has nothing more to say to you. You died with Christ, therefore you are dead to sin and dead to the law, and the law has no jurisdiction over you anymore. So in verses 2 and 3, Paul uses an analogy to, uh, about our relationship with the law. Let me read it again to you. <clears throat> for the woman who has a husband, and so this is to do with marriage law, for the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. So, I want to be careful here. <clears throat> a lot of times people go to this passage and say, the only reason that a, that a Christian can uh, uh, be remarried is upon the death of another person. That is not the subject here. It's an interesting passage that can be used about uh, a Christian is free to remarry once the spouse dies. But this passage has nothing to do with divorce and remarriage. Paul is using this simply as an analogy um, about the woman being under her husband, being under the law of marriage. <clears throat> the issue is our relationship with the law. And so Paul is using this as an illustration to point out that we are dead to the law. Marriage laws bind a couple together as long as both parties live. If a married woman is unfaithful to her living husband, or she marries another man while her husband is alive, the law has something to say to her. The law takes out its bony finger and points to her and says, you are an adulteress. Why? Because she has committed adultery. And so you say, well, the law condemns her because she has acted outside of the law. She has broken uh, natural, civil, and divine law. She has committed the act of adultery and she is known as an adulteress. But, if she marries another man after her husband dies, the law has nothing to say to her. The law does not take out its bony finger and point to her and say, you are an adulteress. Why? Because she is not an adulteress. She is free from that law, and she is now, she's free from her dead husband, and she is now free to marry another. The law has nothing to say to her. She has not broken natural, civil, or divine law. And she has not committed the act of adultery. And she is not known as an adulterous woman because she was free from her husband upon his death. This is perfectly legal. It is perfectly acceptable. She was released from the law that bound her to her first husband upon his death, and she is free to remarry. Paul um, reminded the 
Corinthians of the same thing. In 1 Corinthians 7, 39, he says, A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. And so the point that Paul is making is that death releases the woman from the bonds of her marriage and gives her the liberty to marry another without breaking the law. The law can no longer accuse her of adultery. The application to us is this. We have died to the law. And as a result, we are released from the jurisdiction of the law. We are at liberty now to marry another without breaking the law. The the law can no longer accuse us of sin. The law cannot punish us because we died in Christ or with Christ and his righteousness has been imputed to us. Since we are free from the law, we are now free to marry our bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. We can become his bride, which is the theme of verses 4 through 6. So now we, we move from our relationship with the law and we move to our relationship with Christ. Verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So I'm going to break this section down into four parts. And there are four new things that happen to you when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. When you now have a relationship with Him, where He is your Lord, where He is your Savior, there are four things that happen to you. And the first thing is that you become a new person, a dead person who lives. Paul says in verse 4, therefore, and so he is now uh, concluding or, or giving a reason uh, for, for what he just said in verses 1 through 3. Because we have died to the law, we are now free to marry another, that is to Christ. And so our new relationship with Jesus Christ changes everything. Everything changes because we now know Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you this morning, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your own Lord and Savior? Because if you don't know him, you are still under law. You are still under the condemnation of the law. You are still under the threat of the eternal death penalty in the lake of fire. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you are still under the law. But if you have trusted him as your Lord and Savior, you're no longer under the law, you're under grace. And under grace, you are a new creation. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When we trusted in Jesus Christ, we became new persons, new people. Uh, we were dead, but now we are alive. How did we die to the law? Well, Jesus made the way for us by dying on the cross. But there has to come a time, there has to come a point in everyone's life where they see themselves as a sinner in need of a Savior. They see themselves as condemned by the law and see that the only way to be forgiven for sins is to trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. And when a person does that, they are free from the law. They are a new person. Free from the law that you might be married to another to him who raised us, or who, who was raised from the dead. And so that brings us to our next point. The second thing that is new in the life of a Christian is that a Christian has a new position. You are now married not to the law. You are now married to Jesus Christ. You are now the bride of Christ. The term here um, in Romans 7, the body of Christ, refers to Jesus Christ's death on the cross for us. And the phrase, to him who was raised from the dead, of course, speaks of his resurrection. Paul is saying that we were put to death to the law by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we are free to be married to him who was raised from the dead um, and that, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The position, the believer's new position, is that we are married to Christ as his bride. Our death to the law means that we can be married to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, 2, For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And to the Ephesian church, he wrote, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And it's a picture of Christ marrying his spotless bride. And we are his spotless bride because he has forgiven us all our sins. You know, I don't know if any of you have an ex. I don't think so, but if, if you did, sometimes people talk about their ex in a very bad way. And uh, my ex was this, and my ex was that, and my ex did this, and my ex did that. Well, we had an ex too, if you're a believer. And the X was the law. And the X was very demanding. The, the, law, the law demanded that I, uh, what I could do and what I could not do and sentenced me to death for not obeying every command. Who wants to be married to somebody like that? But we were. And if you don't know Christ, you are. My new relationship with Christ is based on His grace his undeserved favor. He died for me to pay my sin's debt and set me free from the bondage I was under. Now, 
I have liberty to live for him, to serve him, to please him. And he gives me the power to do what I could never do under the law. Not only does he justify me, that is, he declares me righteous, he also sanctifies me, and we've talked about that over the last couple of weeks, that our position in Christ is perfect. Our practice may still be down here somewhere, but more and more, our sanctification, he is conforming us to the image of Christ. He justifies me. He sanctifies me. And my new position is in Christ, and I am happy, and I hope you are too, to be his bride. The third thing that is new to you as believers is that you have a new purpose. And your new purpose is to bear fruit for God. So as I mentioned at the beginning, I think about David and, and uh, Rebecca getting married. And I know that when Sharon and Will were married, we actually prayed for them publicly. And one of the prayers was that they might be fruitful and multiply. You want to see fruit from the marriage. And hopefully they'll have children and bring about grandchildren and so on and so forth. That's sort of the natural process. And so fruit is kind of the intended purpose of a marriage relationship. And uh, we hope that every newly married couple will live a long and fruitful life. When we're married to Christ, the outcome is that we should bear fruit for God, to God. So when we were in the flesh, that is when we were under the law, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. So when we were married to our ex, we'll say, okay, everything we did resulted in fruit. We were fruitful, but it was bad fruit. And the end of that fruit was death. That's not a good place to be. But married to Christ, we are going to live forever. We are to bear fruit unto God uh, to bring praise and glory to him. What kind of fruit was produced with your ex? Paul says that our sinful passions were aroused by the law, resulting in the fruit of death. What, what was the fruit? Death is one of them. Romans 7, 5, our sinful passions, we just read that, brought fruit to death. Romans 6, 21, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. James 1.14 says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So death was one of the fruit that came from our ex. The second fruit is that we were excluded from the kingdom of God. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbirths of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revileries, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
That was the fruit that we had with our ex, and we would be excluded from the kingdom of God. Not only that, but the fruit that we had with our ex resulted in the wrath of God. Colossians 3, 5 through 7. Therefore put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, that is the fruit that we bore under law, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. And so you have to say to these, well, when I was living with my ex, this is the fruit that I bore. Does that make the law evil? No. Paul tells us very plainly, no. The problem isn't with the law. The problem is with the raw materials the law is working with. What are the raw materials that, are, that the law is working with? Me. I'm a sinner. I was born a sinner. I'm a sinner by nature. I'm a sinner by practice. And under the law, all I could do was produce bad fruit. And all of it came from me. The, the law cannot produce holy living. All the law can do is look at you and look at your life and condemn you as a sinner. Every time you look at the law, you're condemned. That's the relationship with the law. <clears throat> Fallen man will always fail to keep the law, but grace triumphs over the law. We died to the law. Therefore, it has no jurisdiction over us anymore. Our ex died, as it were. Actually, in this passage, it's, it's we who died with Christ. But the, the point is the relationship was broken with the law. Our marriage has been broken by death, and a new marriage to Christ has taken place. And in that relationship with Christ, we now bear fruit to God. We died to the law. We bear fruit now to God. What is the fruit of this new relationship? Well, in Romans 6, 12 through 14, um, we have fruit to God. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall no longer have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. The second is holiness. Paul says in Romans 6.22, But now having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. In our new marriage with the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the fruit of the Spirit as well. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
self-control. Against that fruit, there is no law. You can do that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the rest of your life, and you will never be sent to prison for doing it. You will, uh, this is fruit to God, and it is the fruit of the Spirit. And righteousness, Philippians 1.11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, we know that we are to bear fruit for God, but how is this possible? We failed to bear fruit for God under the law. Will we fail under grace as well? Well, here's the difference between the two. God gives us something when we are married to him that we did not have while we were with our ex. He gives us a new nature. And more importantly, he gives us his Holy Spirit to enable us to do what we could never do in the flesh. Grace triumphs where man, where man has failed and where the law fails. And so this is the fourth thing that is new to a believer. The Spirit of God now empowers us to bear fruit for God. Romans 7, 6, But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. When a bride comes down the aisle, she is there to be married to the one she loves. Christ has called us. It's as if he is standing at the front of the church or wherever a person gets married today and is calling his bride to come to him. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, he's calling you to come to him and to be his bride. Come, marry the Lord Jesus Christ that you might be forgiven of all your sins, that you might be dead to the law, that you might be free uh, in the marriage to him. I think of the, I, I love the words of the hymn, um, Emmanuel's Land. It says, and you think of a bride walking down the aisle towards her, her um, soon-to-be husband. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my King of grace, not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hands. The lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. She has eyes only for the Lord Jesus Christ. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. And he offers to us in this marriage his unfailing, everlasting love. And by faith, we accept his offer and we are brought into the banqueting table. And his banner over us is love forever. You know, I often see pictures of people saying, you know, forever married. And I go, that's a nice sentiment. It's not true. Forever married. You're married until death do us part. But that frees us in the case of the law 
to marry another, and that marriage won't just last a lifetime. It won't last till death do us part because there is no dying over there. When we are married to Christ, it is eternal. It is permanent. And there is no one ever who loved you more than the Lord Jesus Christ. He delivered us from the curse of the law by dying for us. We've been released from the law just as a widow is released from her deceased husband. Now we are free to marry the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And now we can serve him uh, in newness of the spirit, not the oldness of the letter. The spirit of God takes up residence in every new believer and gives that believer the power to please God. Our service is no longer an attempt to slavishly obey every written code of the law, but to humbly serve the Lord out of an expression of love for him. We don't serve him now out of fear of death, but we serve him because he has given us life and we serve him with joy and love and freedom. What we could not do under the law because of the weakness of our flesh, we gladly do by the grace of God because he saved us and has given us the spirit of God. We can say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to ask you a question. We've talked about four new things that are true of every believer. They're on the screen. And I want to ask if all of these are true of you. Are you a new person? Have you died to the law? And do you live now to Jesus Christ? Are you now alive in him? Do you now have a new position? You're done with your ex. And now you have married the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have a new purpose that the outcome of your life is now fruit to God? And do you experience the new power that he has given you through the Spirit of God dwelling in you, enabling you to bear fruit for God and to live for him? Does this describe you? If it doesn't, you don't know the Lord, then trust him today. And all of this can be true of you as well. For we are saved by grace, not by works, lest anyone should boast. I often think of, um, in fact, when I teach the stranger on the road to Emmaus, the very last lesson, I, I like to use that lesson to describe what is taking place, that finally we have come to the point where a decision must be made. A person must trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I usually, I usually use the marriage as an illustration where the Lord is saying to you, will you have me? I love you. I died for you. I shed my blood that you might be free from your sin, free from the law. Will you marry me? 
And what is the response of the bride to her husband? I do. Simple as that. And that binds them together, unites them together in marriage. And really the gospel is that simple, that Jesus died for you and he's now saying to you, come to me, come to me, marry me and I will set you free. Do you experience, have you experienced that? If not, trust in him today. If you are a believer, rejoice in the four new things that Christ has given you and live to please him. Live out of love for him. Live in response to his love for you and enjoy the power that he has given to you to bring fruit to God. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. We thank you that he has, in fact, freed us uh, from sin and freed us from the law, that we are no longer a slave uh, to uh, the hand, handwriting against us, but rather, Lord, we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we submit gladly and freely to him because we know that he loves us more than anyone has ever loved us. And we just offer ourselves afresh to you, Lord Jesus, that we might bear fruit for you and that we might uh, bring praise to God. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.